Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. All right, we're going to go to the Word of God this morning. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. I'm pretty sure it is. I haven't written it down in my notes. And, uh, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13 or 15. And it's verse 24. And it says this. Um, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheats among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles till be burnt, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, down at verse uh, 36 now, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered that one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Down to verse 47. Once again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then headed over to Matthew, pretty sure, 22. Should write chapters, clearly, in my notes. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come, so go to the street corners and invite the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Heavenly Father, we come, Lord, today to learn from you and to learn from your word. We pray that your word would be illuminated to our hearts and, Lord, that we would have some questions that are answered and uh, some things realized here today. Lord, I pray that your word would do what only it can do and that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us into all truth as Jesus promised you would. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was just looking at those oxen, fattened oxens, 
that were being prepared. And it reminded me of Will Messant, who's now back in the country, but he's not here this morning, I don't think. Oh, he's here somewhere. Will, wherever you are, thank you for always making fattened oxen for us. We appreciate you. And the other thing exciting that's happened this morning is Elsie Knoll. Baby Elsie is here somewhere. Hayley had her Monday, came to church Sunday with her um, little baby. And so we're um, excited to have you, Elsie, wherever you are. She understood that. Okay. Um, Well, at the start of the year, we called our vision for the year, It's Personal. And the aim was to take everything that we've kind of made abstract and bring it into the main frame of understanding that it's our personal responsibility to live out our faith. It's our personal responsibility to be the church, that they're not locations or things that are happening out there and in different places. But in fact, we are the church and our faith is personal. And it's not supposed to be some abstract component of our life, but an integral part of who we are. And so we were trying to go through some keys of that. We initially went through, well, yes, my life as a Christian, it's personal to me. Uh, Then it's not them over there. It's us and we are the church, that actually the church is personal, that I'm called to be a blessing to every sphere that is not as blessed as what I am. Uh, Then that also I take those who the Bible calls lost personally, that I'm who the Bible calls found, so I take my foundness seriously And go to those who are lost and actually take them personally. That it's not something that I've just got to hope happens out there one day, but that's part of my service of being on the earth. The church is personal. The lost are personal. My life as a Christian is personal. The discipleship should be personal. That we can can invite to hear from a platform or to a program, but what's incumbent on us initially always is to invite to Jesus and to um, show people Jesus through our life. Uh, and, and we had a great response from that. Next week, we're going to start, or not next week because it's Father's Day, the week after, we're starting Christianity Explained here in the afternoon at 4pm so that people can come do Christianity Explained and then know how to take it to their friends and into their world. Uh, so that was really exciting outcome and response to that. So that you're equipped to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone that God uh, leads you to. So there's only a few components left of its personal and one of them is the kingdom of heaven to earth, bringing heaven to earth, it's personal. Now, I don't know what you thought of when we read those parables at the start of the message, whether you immediately thought of a place out there, the kingdom of heaven, that's where we go when we die. And, um, and I know that for the longest time, that's exactly how I thought of the kingdom of heaven. It's a place that I went to when I carked it, that actually, um, that, that there's, a, there's a there and then, and, but I'm here and now, and I'm awake for, for the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of because we think of heaven and hell as these abstract notions that heaven is a place and hell is a place, which that's true, they both are. But the kingdom of heaven is meant to be what we bring to earth. It's what Jesus preached from the moment that he got here. And the kingdom is something that's meant to be brought here and now and felt here and now. Here's how Bill Johnson puts it. He says that the kingdom is real, okay, that it's available. So he's saying that you and I have access to the kingdom right now. He also says that it's measurable. So we should be able to see the kingdom on earth. We should be able to see it as we outwork it in our lives. Now, uh, if you're kind of thinking of heaven as a place that you go to or the kingdom of heaven as a place that you go to, and then that can cause you to live your life in a kind of a waiting zone, that you're just waiting to go somewhere at the end of your life, that actually um, you've just got to make it through. You've just got to hang in there until you can get to the kingdom of heaven. 
that actually, um, that as long as you don't get hit by a bus tomorrow, that, which is, you know, the best um, um, compulsion for the, to get saved, just kidding, that's just what I heard every week at home. Um, and so if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, that's bad, but if not, you can just wait and get to heaven one day, and if you mess up, well, then you've got time, and, 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 you, and you'll get it right eventually. And you can kind of just have this waiting zone rather than bringing the values of the kingdom of heaven here. Jesus talked about bringing the values of the kingdom of heaven here. And he said it in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, God, we're asking that the prevailing kingdom be prevailing here. Also, it will be the prevailing kingdom at the end of the age, yes, but we're asking that that would start now and that the way we live would usher in the kingdom. Jesus was establishing his kingdom. The kingdom of heavens mentioned 238 times in the New Testament, mainly referring to what's happening here on earth and sometimes referring to the end of the age. Hell's only mentioned 23 times in comparison to that. We're so used to thinking of heaven and hell as abstract notions and we put them in their locations. But we we want to be the church. We don't want it to be a location that we come to. We want to be the church. And also we want to advance heaven as we're here as well. As church is meant to be lived and be a part of, so is the kingdom of heaven here and now. So if we're assigned to conquer this reality with that reality, because that reality is the greater of the two realities, how do we do that without being delusional? How can we say, well, the kingdom of heaven is the greater reality when the reality that we're confronted with every day is not the kingdom of heaven? How do we stand in a reality that we feel knowing that there's a greater reality? Let me compare it to the workplace for you. Imagine that you've been assigned from head office to go to the workplace because the company has noticed that the workplace is not reflecting the values of the company. And so you go into the workplace and what you find is that the workplace is, is, is a toxic environment. There's cattiness, there's backbiting, there's whinging, there's complaining, there's um, laziness, there's a bad work ethic. Anyone kind of going, no, don't put your hand up. Your boss might be in the room, that'd be awful. Um, but, but they might be describing your workplace. There might be negativity and stinginess. There might be this cultural value of the workplace that is just yuck. And you're called, you've been asked to bring the company cultural values into the, and superimpose them and start to write the cultural values of the workplace. Imagine that the company values are positivity, um, are, are a can-do attitude, are um, generosity, are um, loyalty and hard work that you've been asked to bring those company ethics into the workplace. Well, it's the same for us here. There's a greater reality that we're being asked to bring to the workplace that we see and we're asked to uh, not condone what's going on. We have to live within it, but actually to bring the values and bring them to earth. So that's our assignment. We need to trump the reality that's around us with the reality of the kingdom. So in order to do that, we need to understand the greater reality. We need to understand the kingdom. It starts... With the one, it starts right at the start when John the Baptist is announcing Jesus' coming. In the message in Matthew 3, it says, While Jesus was living in the Galilean hills, John, called the baptizer, was preaching in the desert country of Judea. His message was simple and austere. I don't know how to say that word. I've only ever read it. Pardon? 
I'll stare, yes, like I said, I'll stare, like his desert surroundings. Change your life, John said. God's kingdom is here. The first thing that's preached, that Jesus is coming, the one who's preparing the way says, change your life because God's kingdom is here. Jesus gets baptised. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He overcomes the one who seeks to stop his ministry even before it starts, who seeks to cut him off at the knees. He conquers him in the desert. And then he gets back and he starts um, going and gathering the people who he's going to entrust the whole thing to. And he starts preaching this message, Matthew 4, 17. This Isaiah prophesied sermon came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching. He picked up where John left off, change your life, God's kingdom is here. And then as Jesus has gathered these people to himself, to whom he's going to entrust the whole message, he sends them out. Now, he sends out even someone who he knows will betray him. He even entrusts him with the message, which will come into play later on this morning. It says, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them the kingdom is here. That's the message. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. What a beautiful message. Go preach that, disciples. So the message preached to introduce Jesus was that the kingdom of heaven is here. The message that Jesus preaches initially is the kingdom of heaven is here. And the message he gives the disciples to preach is that the kingdom of heaven is here. I think the kingdom of heaven might be here and it might be important. The NIV says the kingdom of heaven is near. The ESV says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Passion Translation says that heaven's realm is accessible, close enough to touch close enough to touch. We are able to grab a hold of that kingdom and bring those principles into the everyday of our life. Jesus, as he's preaching his first open air campaign, he refers to the kingdom. And as he does, he's not talking about a kingdom teaching, a teaching about the kingdom so that we can understand the kingdom better. He's talking about a way of life. His message immediately is supposed to be outworked in a different kind of behavior, a different kind of way of living. And if we, all we know is what we know and there's nothing about the way that we live, then we're not living the kingdom. We're just knowing the kingdom and there's not much point to that. So it's about principles, not rules, the kingdom. Because principles are things that as we apply them, they change our life. Rules might change our behavior, but principles change our life. Jesus, he has the longest recorded sermon, Sermon on the Mount, and he says that, you need to apply these things in order to transform your life. He says, if you don't, you'll just get washed away. You'll be like someone who builds on sand. But, but if you do apply them, if you allow these principles to get on the inside and change the way you live because they are completely counter to the way everyone else is living around you, for example, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who persecute you, what even, those kinds of things. He says, if you'll do those things, then it'll be like you're on a rock that even when Everything is thrown at you that you can stand firm. So if we're to bring those reality kingdom principles to this world and not live with VR glasses on like a virtual reality, then then what does that look like? We need to begin to identify kingdom values and that's what we'll do in these series. Daz, next week for Father's Day, he's going to have another kingdom value. But um, 
but I'm going to bring another kingdom value today. So the first one will come from those parables that we read at the start. And on our way there, here's a concept worth getting that I think we're probably, most of us would understand and get. And that is that, obviously, um, we treat people or we judge people who are not following Jesus different to the way that we judge those who are following Jesus. For example, if your boss is a hideous jerk then and they're not following Jesus, then you should not be a hideous jerk because they are. That's, that's not how it works. Now, that's not even kingdom principles. That's kind of even our Western culture principles. We get taught in infant school, two wrongs don't make a right, don't we? And so if your bot, this is actually perhaps not a great example, but um, nonetheless, we'll press on and hopefully it'll come together at some point. Probably not generally when my examples aren't pre-planned. Um, but just say your boss is a pork chop. You, you being a pork chop back does not help the situation at all. That's right, isn't it? And if we say that their behaviour somehow justifies my behaviour, then, then that's just not right because we're called, even beyond just the normal natural filter of that that we're taught in infants, we're actually called to live differently so we can't apply the same judgment to our behaviour as we have to their behaviour. They have a completely different worldview to us. So the way and the, the function that they're living out of is completely different to us. In no way can their behaviour justify our behaviour even if they're in authority over us. And and the Bible explains this when it talks about slaves obey your masters as though they're the Lord. So when we work, we work as unto the Lord as though he's the boss, not whatever kind of boss we have over us. The, the principles that we work from are completely different to the ones that other people are called to work from. So this par- these parables give us another layer of that and they get to the heart of the same matter. So imagine this first parable, Jesus is talking about a field that, is, that the master has asked people to sow into, good seed. And during the night, someone comes and sows bad seed. And that bad seed is, it's called zazenia. There's not an English word for it. We just call it tears. But it's something that's supposed to look just like wheat, but it bears no fruit. It has no head on the stalk at the end of it. So it looks exactly the same as it begins to grow. But when it becomes evident that there's, there's, there's nothing, it's not the same. It's a weed. It's not supposed to be there. But Jesus says in his explanation and and in the parable itself that that, that they come to him and say, well, should we start pulling it up now? Like, obviously, it's competing for nutrient in the soil. It's competing for light. And so it's stealing from the wheat, isn't it? Shouldn't we go and pull it up now? And the master says, no, 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 because in doing so, you might accidentally pull up some of the wheat as well. And in the explanation, he says, let the two grow up together. And at the end, then the one who knows will get separated out. What does that mean for us? It means that as the church, as the good seed, that we can actually grow and if we see people not bearing fruit, we don't need to boot them. Now, you might say, yeah, well, that's obvious. There's heaps of people in here not bearing fruit. Look at them all, Brian. We haven't booted them yet. But, but what it means is that actually we can come alongside, still grow And that Jesus might actually think differently to us sometimes in our condescension and maybe even in our well-meaningness that Jesus will allow people to grow together even beyond the point of what we would. That he says, I'm going to wait till the end to separate it all out. 
that's an interesting thought if you come from a place where you think, well, if their behaviour isn't matching up to the way that I think it should, then surely something needs to be done. I'm just, we'll get to that, all right? We'll get to that. But, but let's just look at that parable. It seems pretty straightforward. Once again, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake. Now, when Belzy and I were um, in Sumba with compassion, you saw men up like in low tide that go right out into the water up to here and, and there'd be two of them and they would just drag a net like this. And so you can imagine that absolutely anything would be collected along in that way. Fortunately, in Jesus' time, not plastic. <sighs> but uh, now it would get everything right. So much stuff. And, um, and so they're dragging along the net and it, but it says that it's at the end when it gets separated out. Now, for them, like when they're talking about all kinds of fish, all kinds of sea creatures, obviously they're not talking about plastic, but, but they, the Jews were forbidden to eat prawns. Who loves prawns? Oh, so good. I love prawns. I even don't mind the, the gunk that comes out of the head when you rip the head off, that white stuff. What I don't like is the brown stripe at the back. I, I don't enjoy that part of shelling a prawn, but the reward is greater than the task, so I'm happy to do it. Um, but you see, the Jews were asked to not eat anything unclean. And the thing about a prawn is, is it actually goes along and eats toxic stuff and filters it out, and that's the brown stripe that we get. Um, um, pigs as well, they are like bottom feeders. Like they get the garbage and the scraps and they eat all that. That's why Jews weren't allowed to eat that either. They were called to be separate. They were, sep- they were called to be clean until um, the New Testament and, and God calls everything clean. So, so when that fish and prawns and everything are being collected, that's a clear message to the listeners at the time that it's all the clean and all the unclean that are lumped in together until the end. So they were allowed to be together until the end. Now, that says that's how it will be at the end of the age. That uh, word end is the consummation, so the finality, the, the end of, of, of the time, the end of the um, period of time. Um, so there is a time coming where it will get separated out. Like, let's be clear, there's a time coming. But perhaps... We don't need to draw lines as much as we do in the meantime. Maybe there's some things, yep, and we'll get to that. Okay, now let's get to the wedding. The wedding was pretty amazing. Uh, it, it, this is a, an amazing story. And, and it would be erroneous of us to um, apply everything that the king is doing here onto Jesus. It's like the judge. Uh, there's a story in the Bible that, that Jesus tells about the woman who comes knocking at the judge's door. And, uh, and sometimes we can get the picture that God is like this indifferent, distant judge who you have to keep knocking and knocking and knocking. But the parable isn't talking about Jesus being the judge like that or God being the judge like that. He's saying he's a God who will answer, but we just need to keep asking. So we have to take the right things from the parable and not superimpose every characteristic of the king onto Jesus or onto God. But let's look at this passage. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like the king who prepared a wedding banquet for them. So when you prepare a wedding banquet, um, Benny and Faithy, they're about to get married in a couple of months. And, uh, and, and just imagine that um, they sent out their invitations and no one RSVP'd. Sorry, guys. And it got to the day after and they like walk into church. They're ready. Um, the... the 
Ben knows a little bit how to operate the sound desk, so Sophie and the crew like fire up with their song. Benny walks over the sound desk and just kills the sound. And he walks up the front, as Benny likes to do because he's such an attention lover. But um, walks up the front and says, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room, people. RSVP was yesterday and not one of you has responded. What's going on here? Like, like there would be something going on, you'd have to admit. Like, if all, everyone that was invited, some of you are like, who have been in Faith Wayne are invited to their wedding? This is a sham. I'm out of here. Um, but is anyone who was invited to the wedding, if no one replied, then there's something going on here. And it's an attitude, right? It's an attitude of indifference. Uh, this is reminiscent, would have been reminiscent to the first listeners of the story um, that Josephus, who's a historian, tells about King Hezekiah inviting all the Israelites to Passover. And they just don't come. It's like, nah, we're not coming, not interested, disinterested. And in this parable, the, the people are disinterested in the wedding banquet for the son. And so the father is like, well, come on now. That would be even funnier if Dave Longmire came up and said that to everybody. That is even harder to imagine, the most gentle man in the world. You guys, you're all a joke. I would love to see that, Dave. Um, and uh, so Josephus, uh, not Josephus, so the, the, the father has invited and no one's come. So he sends out the servants and, and he, he tells them, he's like, Will Messon has prepared the food, guys. It's going to be amazing. But they paid no attention and went off and actually some mistreated the people who were bringing the message. Now, what is absolutely obvious in this next part is that there's no codependence between God and people. Like God is not looking at our church, Northwest Church, and going, come on, guys, please, please, would you just come? I need you. I need you for overflow tonight. I need you to worship me. I need you to um, get, like, I really need you to be before me in worship. He's like, okay, you guys are disinterested. I'm going to go find someone else who's interested. He doesn't, he, he, he loves us. He'll chase us down with his goodness and his mercy and his grace, but he doesn't need us. The dependency is all one way here. And so if we don't respond to when he calls us, he's just going to go call someone else. Let's be really clear. And that's what he does in this passage. He goes and finds those who are in the streets. He finds those who are, um, you know, usually not invited. And, uh, and he gathers all the people that he can. Listen to this. The bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now for the Jews, they believed that they were the chosen ones. And so they were. But I would beware of anyone who feels like they're the chosen ones. Like that's not a great place to be. It's great to be confident in the calling of God and the fact that he loves us. But to feel like, well, I'm the chosen one. I'm the chosen people. I'm part of the chosen. I would be very hesitant to live there because those who were chosen in these stories find out that actually they weren't chosen because they didn't respond to the love and the goodness and the kindness of the invitation of God. It says here that when the kings came to see the guests, when the kings came to see the guests, so they're all in there, the bad as well as the good, they're all having the party together and it's not until the king comes to see the guests that he notices a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now there were no security in the party because the party was just allowed to party, they were allowed to carry on together but it was when the king came that he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, in our mind, we might think, 
um, well, like, it's not really his fault. They went out to the streets and gathered them. Why does he get thrown out for not wearing the right wedding clothes? One explanation is that the, um, the host used to provide a wedding garment for the guests. So by not putting it on, that per- person was making an obvious choice to not put on the wedding garment, even though they were invited. They didn't choose to put on the, right, or the, the garment that had been provided for them. Um, another another explanation is that um, people had time to get ready. Like they actually went and got ready and then came to the banquet. But that person chose just to um, just to not give it any honour or reverence uh, for the invitation. But the point is, is that in each of these stories, it's not until the king comes. It's not until the king makes the decision. It's not until the master makes the decision that it gets filtered out. So you might say to me, Bron, I understand, but, but what about holiness? And what about the church staying pure? And what about the guy in Corinthians who got thrown out? And what about Hymenaeus and Alexander in Timothy who got thrown out? Like there's a place for people to be excluded from the assembly if they're not doing the right thing. And yes, there is. It's, it's obvious in the New Testament. The guy in Corinthians, as we know, was sleeping with his mother and it was affecting the whole church. <coughs> mother, stepmother, um, whatever. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and um, I'm allergic to this new building. And um, <laughs> it's like building dust or something. Pointless detail. Um, and, and so they, um, yeah, so yes, he was kicked out. The Bible says that the whole church not only didn't correct it, but they were actually proud of the behavior. So the behavior had come to a place where it was kind of, it was proliferated, it was accepted, and it was affecting the whole church, that kind of behavior. So Paul said, deal with it and deal with it swiftly. And then in the next letter to them, he says, make sure you go that, get that guy and bring him back. He needs to come back now. He's done his time. He needs to come back. Bring him back into the assembly. He deals with something that was affecting the whole church, but then he brings him back. What about Hymenaeus and Alexander? Yep, two guys that the Bible says that Paul hands over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme. We know that Alexander, the metal worker from 2 Timothy, he had done Paul a great deal of harm. So yes, there is a place where the leadership of the church, if something is coming against them that is doing them a great deal of harm, then yes, that's a place to be able to to ask that person to maybe find somewhere else. Hymenius was telling people that the resurrection had already happened. And uh, sorry, you missed it. We've missed it. The resurrection's happened and we all missed it. That's not okay. That's affecting the whole church. That's something that's affecting the whole church. These things, um, three people in all of the New Testament that were asked to leave the church and it wasn't because they weren't good enough to be a part of the assembly. They hadn't changed enough to be a part of the assembly. It was because their behaviour was so affecting the whole church that it needed to be dealt with swiftly. So think, in terms of the kingdom of heaven, if we're to take a value today, it has to be inclusiveness. It has to be a whosoever will attitude like Jesus had. Now, I understand the difficulty in our world today and what it seems like the church is becoming more and more accepting and watering down holiness and things like that, that's not okay. That's absolutely not okay. And we need to acknowledge that as we surrender to Christ, He will change us from the inside out. 
but we also need to allow people the environment and the ability to come to a place where they will get changed from the inside out, where they will experience the love of the church and they will be told about Jesus Christ, where they will be put in the environment where the Holy Spirit is able to change them and we will allow them to come and for God to do what only He can do and to bring those kingdom principles to them. All three of these messages that Jesus gives about the kingdom, he says that the bad was with the good until the master came back and then he dealt with it. One last passage of scripture because there's a lot to think on there. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, Matthew chapter 8, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now that's talking about there and then. The feast in the kingdom of heaven, that's there and then. The kingdom of heaven coming is here and now, but the feast is there and then. And he says, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. There is a there and then, but we're called to bring the values here and now. And one of those values is the gift of trusting God. It's actually a gift to ourselves of trusting God with the ability to bring those who aren't yet His home. I don't know if you've got family members and it rips your heart out to think of them not knowing the love of Jesus. There's a gift that you can give yourself to trust God to bring those who aren't His yet home. Will everyone come? No. No, that's clear. But we can remain eternally grateful if we acknowledge that Him bringing us into His kingdom is nothing to do with us, that that's all His work. He's drawn us. Yes, we chose Him in the end. That's my belief. We chose Him in the end, but it was His work that did it. And so we can trust His work to be drawing other people where we can't. At the point that behaviour is affecting the church, something needs to be done. That's 100% true. But if it's only affecting our sensitivities, then we need to remember these parables and allow both to grow up together and believe that God knows what He's doing. Help each other to put on the wedding garment. Help each other to see that we're not bearing fruit. Have conversations that are necessary. Talk to each other. Have real conversations. But remember that God will be the one to sort them out. And let your gratitude that you've been called and chosen not lead to some kind of condescension or or superiority, but just gratitude and the ability to include others. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that there is a day coming, Lord, where you will separate the wheat from the tares. Lord, where you will take the prawns from the fish. Lord, will you will identify those not wearing the wedding garment. But Lord, for right now and right here, I pray that you would help us to know how you want us to live for ourselves and Lord, how you want us to interact with those that you're still working on. God, we believe that we can trust you to guide us into all truth and that you will lead us to the place where we know when to say things and how to say things that will bring the kind of fruit that you desire. So Lord, we give ourselves into your hand and we ask that we would be part of bringing your kingdom to earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.